You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alright guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, and this mm-hmm. week, it is our Lost Caverns of Ixalan hype review. Basically, like we do with a lot of sets, what cards are Goldilocks? Too much, too little, just right. Yeah. Uh, we've each picked one card with, probably we'll meander into a couple of others on each of the lists, but... 100%. With that, let's get it started. All right, so for me, off top, I'm looking at two cards that I think are a little bit uh, overhyped in Constructed. Uh, one has been getting a lot of noise, no pun intended, based on the name, and it is uh, Trumpeting Carnosaur. I think this card is good, but it's a little bit, uh, I think it's overhyped right now. It's being blown out of proportion in formats that aren't Pioneer. The Discover mechanic, whatever it is, is extremely yeah. popular it or not po- popular it's extremely powerful it can do some ridiculous things but in older formats you have the ability to like multiple sphere this or shut off etbs a lot easier than just having the card hushbringer and pioneer and yeah. so i think ultimately carnosaur will do things in standard in the long run it will do things in pioneer most likely but i think it's going to kind of be relegated maybe to like a grease fang level once people learn how to fight it i don't think it's an absolute yeah in uh, modern and legacy it was a little bit more damning because the deck kind of came about during eternal weekend prog travel weekends so this is another good example of when the, the cats away, the mice will play. And so we saw a lot of results come up from Legacy from shells that looked very similar to a deck called Mississippi River, which basically just played Maelstrom Wanderer <laughs> and a bunch of Cascade creatures. Yep. Maelstrom Wanderer gives them all haste and you swing in. So Trumpeting Carnosaur goes in that deck, even mixed in with a little bit of uh, Show and Tell and Omniscience tech. The deck still kind of folds to multiple sphere effects, which is what happened in Legacy. Lands got better. They started playing spheres in the main. D&D yep. started to pick up popularity. You have more Thalias and Thorns running around. And ultimately, a deck that get, just can't pay for the hits it cascades into folds. And so it falls out yep. of the meta. And so I think that's what's going to happen to Carnosaur. So right now, it's a $9 card. And it's only been on the rise because of what's been going on in Pioneer, basically. And I think that's what's going to happen long term. It's just kind of been blown out of proportion because yep. there weren't enough checks and balances in place. Similarly, the card right behind it, to me, is very similar. And it is uh, Tishana's Tidebinder. So you talk about the meandering up front. I want to talk about this card overall because I think this is a card that is good. It's l- good. It is good long term. It has immediate implications, but I don't Not think twenty dollars good. Yeah, or what? Right now, according to this, yeah, it's like twenty for a forty or a forty dollar foil. It ETBs and it's a humility. It just turns a creature off, but it also does it permanently. So when you're looking at this in the long term, you want to be able to like ensure your triggers uh, last. So you're going to be looking to remove this creature overall. And in modern, yeah. it's really easy. In legacy, it's really easy. This doesn't die to uh, just a regular fatal push. You got to. Uh, kick it no pun intended when it comes to fatal push but bolt just destroys it you have uh swords, Shock, swords yeah fury path, fury yeah, yeah. yeah there's um, a ley line binding etc discarding trumpeting carnosaur exactly like you have a lot of options to get rid of this card so i think this is going to be good but i think it's going to be great it's definitely not going to push merfolk it's another three mana merfolk that just kind of does a whole lot of nothing 
that deck is basically full of lords and air, and if you have to actually cast this for three, you're going to have a really bad time. And if you're shoving this through a vial, that means it's turn four or later, and the game should be close to over. So yeah. at the end of the day, I think the amount of hype on this card for, again, older formats is not where it needs to be. I think this is a very good pioneer and standard card, but I don't think this really stands the test of time in modern and legacy. So the hype around this card, for me, is a little too extra for older formats. And people like wanted to hone in on that, and I think just think it's wrong for both of them. Yeah, I, I think especially for Tishana's Tidebinder, the thing for me is like, look, it this is a rare from a standard legal set, so it doesn't it should not command this price at all. No. Uh it it, it just shouldn't. It shouldn't be a fifteen dollar rare. It's not. Nope. Uh speaking of cards, it just shouldn't have the price point. My over is the alt art caverns that are all over the place. I get it, guys, we're really excited. We have a new treatment for a card that's actually playable compared to the hit at Sugus, which I think outside of the WPN premium one, they're all like sub 20 bucks. Now, I'm not saying that these caverns get to sub $20, but I am telling you that 300, 200 plus for these, for a card that has a pedigree, mm -hmm. has decks that it goes into, yep. but unfortunately, the only spot it's legal in now that it wasn't before is Pioneer, and while, yeah, Humans is going to get a huge boost from this, I don't think it merits the demand for the price point, especially when you consider that this is in, like, your normal boosters. It's not just in, you know, collector boosters as the Mana Crypt is. Yeah. This is going to be something that's going to be opened. It's not that good anymore, frankly. I, I hate to say it, but Cavern, those days are gone. Yep. Humans and Modern is not there anymore. If these Mana Crypts, the low-end Mana Crypt is 181. That should be more than Cavern. That Mana Crypt is worth it. Those caverns are not worth three hundred dollars each. I'm Correct. sorry, yeah, they're just not. I, you made a good point about Hidetsugu, and I think that's important to remember. Is like that has provenance as being the first type of card to receive this treatment, yeah. and as such, it should receive that kind of bump. Cavern yeah. of Souls and Crypt, whatever else comes of this kind of series, can be set aside as being like novelties in comparison to this. Yeah. Cavern is not the mo ultimately the most playable. It is Crypt, like you said. Right now, I think there's only there's only one deck I can think of that sees tournament play that relies on Cavern, and it's Doomsday and Legacy. Yeah, and it sets Cavern to either Merfolk or Wizard, so you can yeah. uncounterably play Thassa's Oracle. Yep. Like I don't think there's anything right now in Modern that plays Cavern. Like the the Humans deck doesn't exist. There's no real no. Taxes deck to speak of. I don't think it ran Cavern beforehand. I could be wrong on that. And in Pioneer, unless there's a Humans deck, it's very difficult to imagine that you need to be dodging counter spells in a format yeah. that doesn't have a control have deck. them, really. Yeah. yeah. So, and it, it, it's just too much. Yeah. Just is. Agreed. Uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, treatment nice is nice, though. Uh, treatment is very nice, yeah. absolutely. Uh, moving along to uh, Underhyped, for me, the card that stood out amongst the, the bunch was Sahili, the Sun's Brilliance, and I joked about this before the cast. Every time there's a Sahili, we pick it at some point as being something ridiculous. This one, however, is a creature, not a Planeswalker, <laughs> so it could be your commander, though I don't think that's where it's going to live. This is no. uh, a blue... 
sorry, 2-2 for a blue and a red, and it has an activated ability of a blue and a red. Tap, create a token that's a copy of another target creature or artifact you control, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. It gains haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. And my, immediately, my immediate thought is, oh, this just goes to infinity and beyond with something like uh, Freed from the Real, which just allows you to tap it tap or untap a creature for the cost of a lowly blue yep. then after that what do you want to combo it with and people are already starting to work on it though it is kind of narrow with what they're doing i don't think they've seen this card which is why i believe it's underhyped when you play yeah. the chromatic orrery you can you make five mana on the spot so you net two mana every time you make a copy of it with sahili that is a, a, yep. a very crimulent option there's already combos out there on um on EDH Rec, I believe, if it's hooked into uh, Commander Spellbook. If it's not, commanderspellbook.com already has some combos that are being generated for this. I don't see this being the commander of the deck. I think you do need to play three colors for this to be the yeah. most optimal. So as such, this is uh, another cog in the wheel like that. But that machine is going to be ridiculous, I believe, with your options that are in front of you. Like, people want to play this with, like, Brutaclad and, like, Herp Herp making some tokens. Like, nope. I'm going to combo with this. That's what I'm going to do. I think this is really good at it overall. And I think it's going to be really easy to do. And I think it might be like kind of acceptable because if you're not going to combo with it, you can do some derp derp stuff with it and it's yeah. all fine and dandy. So it gets past that weird like rub that you see from commander players when people try and combo out. It's also pretty succinct when you just look at it in chromatic order. Ori, what do you do? I mean, you make infinite mana and after that I'm going to do whatever I want. You can go back and you can look at Staff of Domination combo. Three cards, yeah. infinite everything. Cool. We'll yeah. figure it out from there. And it doesn't really take a lot of time. The package is pretty small and at the end of the day I think this is a really decent card. Financially speaking, it's like a dollar and change and it's like really easy pickings. I picked some up just because I'm kind of waiting for it to go. I might build around it and I might not, but I've got like eight like cool i'll hold on to it i think this might be like one of the breakout underhyped cards from the set it's just one of those things that in time people are going to figure out you can do a lot with a little when it comes yeah. to this card yeah i think the important thing about this is it is obviously in the artificer colors because it is sahili but it's i think a lot of people are looking at it as a combo card rightfully so I also think it's just a good incremental value engine. Yeah. You know, being able to two mana into some mana positive rock or two mana into an extra sundering Titan or, yeah. you know, extra blight steel, whatever the case is, it's really nice to have this as like an incremental engine as well as being the combo piece. And at two mana, it's not that intrusive. No, it you also, know, it's easy to get out. It also copies creatures. If you want to play like the wizard kind of stuff, if you want to yep. play small ball with like Kess, and like yeah. go kind of that route. You can make copies of creatures. It doesn't just have to be artifacts for that kind of combo. You can like, yeah. if you really want to play small ball as an Archaeomancer or whatever, two, two blue for a two, two that returns an instant or sorcery. Like, cool, cool. you can play yeah. a value game with it. So I think there's more to be played. If we settle into that direction though, I think from a financial standpoint, it's just going to flop out as like a regular bulk player. Oh, for sure. But yeah. if it starts playing as a combo general, I think, or sorry, as a bulk mythic, uh, I think yeah. it'll kind of pop to like three to $5 if we actually see it like, kind of take over so for me that's underhyped in this set you on the other hand went still blue but in a different direction okay yeah underhyped was actually uh it was the red one um which is strange so my pick for underhype is bone horde dracosaur now why am i picking a 20 dollars card as underhyped so if you've been following standard for the last three years there's always one or two mythics that actually carry a price point now this one i don't think is going to be 20 dollars for Ever in the short term but 
I absolutely think this could occupy long term a Shaeldred style spot where it is at $30 to $40 mythic because the card is just insane. Mm -hmm. So three and two red for a five five flying first strike at the beginning of your ex uh, of your upkeep reckless impulse. So exile the top two cards of your library. You can play them. If you exile a land, you get a light a spark elemental. Yeah. Uh, only it's a dinosaur. If you exile a not a non land, you get a treasure token. So even just by exiling the two cards, you get insane advantage. Uh, the other thing I really like about this card is it has two of the most Timmy creature types you could possibly imagine. It's a Dino Dragon. Mm -hmm. That's great. It, it is the most casual card when you look at it just like glance at what it does you're like okay this is a casual card except it's an efficiently costed body that continually generates you card advantage at the higher levels of play yeah. uh, it's something that you have to answer because it snowballs so fast you're literally recalling every turn you draw three cards every single turn so that kind of effect is obviously very powerful now i will say i don't think this card exists in eternal formats I think it exists in EDH. It has and I think that in EDH, that's where this card gets to the price point that it's going to. Uh, I think the other nice thing with this is we now know, courtesy of the Ian Malcolm Secret Lair Super Drop, uh, that we are going to have Secret Lair support for dinosaurs as well as, you know, we've had it for dragons before. Mm -hmm. But that gives us more opportunity for cards to go incredibly well with this. Uh, that said... I think this is a longer term underhyped card. I think short term it probably does dip to the like 10 to 15 mark, but I think in a year you probably see it creep up to that 30 40 dollar line is what I'd expect. Okay. It's just I think a very powerful effect for the cost. Yeah. Uh, I had this on my overhyped list until I decided to lock in and what got me off of this as being overhyped was that enough people were talking about this from a constructed standpoint that I had to kind of set aside my biases of you need to untap with this card before it does anything. In constructed format, especially one like standard where you still have Shieldred wandering around, like there are some threats that are just more important to take out yep. than this. So this is a really good backup. If you go Shieldred on four, Dracosaur on five, like those are back-to-back -back heavy. You can't lose. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you're doing really good with that deck. And so... Like setting that aside, I listen to a lot of reviews from a constructed standpoint. I think it is appropriately hyped from from that side. Maybe a little underhyped, depending on what like you're saying, basic on what constructed is going to look like. But for me, this doesn't. It reads like a silly commander card, but the drawback is you have to untap with it, and I really just like having to wait for that. I understand the power of a card like Helix Pinnacle because it has hexproof, so it's difficult to deal with. Yeah. This just has flying and first strike. It it is a 5-5, five five, which is out of the range of most uh, red removal, but for black removal, it's very, very easy to oh, hit yeah. this card overall. And white, obviously, because white just doesn't care. Oh, 100%. But like I said, yeah. at the end of the day, <clears throat> having to untap to take advantage of this is really what kind of gets me. If it was like like the Carpet of Flowers new text, which yeah. is once at the beginning of e of either main either phase. Either main phase you pick, yeah. Yeah, you did this. I think it would be pretty good overall. But otherwise, it seems to, for me, be a struggle to really want to not get this to work, but see this kind of take hold as a $20-plus card. That doesn't mean it won't. It just means no, like yeah. that's those are my biases, and that's the way I see this. Moving on to just right for me, I think the this one from a hype standpoint is uh, the Skullspore Nexus, and this is six and a double green for a legendary artifact. 
This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. Whenever one or more non-token creatures you control die, create a green fungus dinosaur creature token with base power and toughness each equal to the total power of those creatures. Then to and tap, double target creature's power until end of turn. So this basically just kind of re-ups your threat. And if the first part reads like a Great Henge clone, it's because this kind of is like is. a Great Henge yeah. clone. And the reason I think this is just right is because when I read this card, cool, this is a commander card. Overall, it's pretty agnostic. Just because it's making fungus dinosaurs doesn't mean it really needs to play in like a fungus or dinosaur deck because it triggers off your creatures dying and it just replaces your creatures. So you're just playing another creature deck like the Great Henge. So this yeah. kind of goes along the same routes. And as such, a set that brings us four tribes or four types, whatever, for this that you're going to play. This seems pretty easy to slide into any one of them that plays green, and thus by extension, any other creature-based decks that are going to play green. So this checks a lot of the same boxes the Great Henge does. And when you check Wreck, it is the number three just card in the set overall. Let's see if I still have this up. I do. Uh, it is right now Roaming Throne, Galto Stampede Tyrant, and Skull, Skull Spore Nexus for just cards in the set. And Skull, Skull Spore Nexus has been number three for like the entirety of a week. It's just been kind of sitting there. And I think that is appropriately hyped for this card overall at an $11 price tag. Is that the final price we'll see? No, I would say this venture is up towards 15 or 20 because it is nice. It is agnostic. It replaces your creatures. And instead of playing it in a token deck, which people are probably like experimenting with now, I probably think this sits more in like a mid-range to chonky style deck where lighter creatures are going to have power and or toughness three or greater and so you're going to start making some pretty big tokens with this so you can just kind of come back from the from those wraths and i think this just exists in the commander format the same kind of the same way great henge does this has to be dealt with very similarly yep. to how the great henge is dealt with otherwise it spirals out of control and it's going to be just as annoying in a format as the great henge is because they are both incredible value engines overall so from a height perspective i think the skull spore nexus is just spot on banger for where it is i i think the thing that the most important line of text to me is honestly the last line of text on this card two yeah. tap double a power uh because everything else is automatic so look as long as i have two colorless i can make one of the fattest tokens on the board and that's great i also think like you said it is agnostic to any kind of token style which guess what selesnia is the best token combination yeah so it slides right in there as another doubling effect and doubling effects obviously have a history of being some of the more valuable cards. Uh, yeah, I, I think this card is great. Uh, definitely also agree this should be a top five card in the set. Yeah. Just, Short, long term, whatever. It's just good. Yeah, exactly. Honestly. That's what, this is like a really good example of a card where we don't even have to look at the finances because this is a hype. This like we're just talking about levels of hype around this card. And even though like social media has been quiet on this compared to a lot of others, the people who are self-identifying and report to EDH rec are saying that this is a top five card in the set and it's been number three. And I think that is perfectly fine. Again, card in the set, not commander, not like land or whatever. Just yeah. go to set, click on card, bang, number three. And I think that is choice. That's where we're supposed to be. Uh, agreed. My just right, and this is in terms of financial value, mm -hmm. is Deep Root Pilgrimage. Uh, it's, you know, blue one, Whenever a non-token merfolk becomes tapped, make a token. 
Uh, everyone seems to think this is going to break through in Constructed. There is no way this card is not good enough to break through in a fish deck. Uh, I think this card lives in the EDH, and that is why I think the price is relatively appropriate. Yeah. Because it is a combo engine that works with, like, Godsire and Truder Alarm, Mero Regery, stuff like that, where... Yeah. You're kind of in that 75% range. You're not Battlecruiser Timmy. You're not CEDH. But you have some really good synergies and combos that, if left unchecked, can just win the game. And this falls very squarely into that, which is why I think that, you know, $2, you know, bulk, quote, price range is about where it should be. Now, Eternal Weekend happened, came and went. There was no showing of fish there in Europe. I assume it's going to be the same for North America and China. Mm -hmm. But I could be wrong. Maybe Eastern Asia has it pop. Maybe Pitt has it pop. I just don't see this breaking into any 60-card format because the barrier for entry in Legacy Fish is way too high yes. for this to make it. And Fish just doesn't exist elsewhere. People try to make it work, but mm -hmm. uh, come on, guys, just stop. Yeah, It, it doesn't work. So <laughs> when I read this card, my first thought was, is like, oh, they're trying to remake a Merfolk or a card in the Merfolk deck in the style of Wake Thrasher. And I'll bring this yeah. up for people who didn't play uh, yeah. lore when constructed. In the Azor Merfolk deck, this was effectively your finisher. Two yeah, and a blue it was for, very good. Two and a blue for a 1-1. One, one. Whenever a permanent you control becomes untapped, Wake Thrasher gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. And that does combo a little bit with Redry because Redry lets you tap or untap target permanent. It doesn't matter who controls it, right? So you can untap that. Or more often than not, you would pay three to play Wake Thrasher, untap your three lands, and now you have a 4-4 four, four that's coming in. But yep. at the end of the day, this card is not good enough to make it into any Merfolk list. True Name Nemesis is just a better Merfolk overall. It's so good. So what are you looking to do in Constructed Merfolk? Well, just make some friends for the next turn. Well, okay, you could play Master of the Tides from Theros and just make, yeah, a bunch of elementals instead equal and to your win. devotion to blue. Exactly. And win. It's a faster way to make those tokens. So I don't know exactly what this card is supposed to be doing in you know modern and older formats yeah I, there are enough merfolk and pioneer to kind of make that work if you stretch into simic and that's not a bad thing but you don't have enough lords in that deck to actually make it work and that's the problem Merf yep. merfolk was affectionately called 12 lords for a while for a reason and when you don't have a critical mass of lords that deck can't really exist and you can try and clone them as many times as you want that's fine but you still need a starting point and when you don't have a critical mass of cards to clone, it doesn't work out too, too well. Uh, I don't think Pioneer has Spreading Seas either, which makes it a little more difficult. Uh, the the Not Mystical Archives, the, um, the Woe Sheet had yeah. Spreading Seas on it, but that doesn't mean it's legal in Pioneer. And I yeah. don't think that card came in through any of the... Uh, through any other means, so... It just makes no, it really so. just makes it really difficult for deep root pilgrimage in my mind to see play in Pioneer. Yeah, I, I just it it doesn't the meta's not there for it. There are tribal decks that do it better. Humans, uh, what's left of it, you know, Winota obviously has changed, yep. but there's better tribes for that than fish. And this is something that I think getting into the fish mindset with it is kind of a trap, but. That's why it exists in EDH. It goes in your Godsire, your Intruder Alarms, your just value token lists if you want to go Bant. Yeah. This can go in there just fine. Um, but I don't see it, again, especially being a rare in a collector booster set, having 
much upside compared to where it is now. I think it's appropriately priced. It is appropriately hyped. I know there have been people talking about getting it into legacy fish or trying it, but it's literally, I guess I'm going to try it because I haven't had anything new for the deck for the last five years. Exactly. So I, I just want to feel something again. Let's throw throw it in there. I know people who are uh, at least started last week or maybe this week playing uh, fish because of uh, Tidebinder. Yeah. The Tishana's Tidebinder, like we just talked about. They think it's going to be good enough in a deck that doesn't play soul lands. And I'm kind of remiss to think that that's going to work. Like, you can sure counter a leyline binding trigger, my guy, but you know, the terminus that'll come off the top in time from the beans deck is the uh, that's the other hand, and it's coming quick. So I really yeah. don't know what the expectation is there. But all right, uh, anything else before I move on to picks? Uh, no, let's do it. All right, you go first because you got the big dumb dino. Yes, I uh, have the big big dumb dinosaur. So I am going with Zakama, uh, OG, all the way back from Ixalan. Mm-hmm block now why well obviously we're getting dinosaurs duh that's why i picked it i literally picked it because we're getting dinosaurs again and again like i said last episode i'm going to try to get a little bit more anecdotal and talk about stuff that we've been asked about in store as a pick and get more of the lgs perspective this is something that i tracked and the last week we have sold 36 copies of this card uh because it's people who are coming in and saying hey I want to build a dinosaur deck. I want to start in Jund, whatever. Now, is it the commander? I don't know. Is it in the 99? I don't know. The mm-hmm. fact of the matter is that this card is starting to move at the local level, yep. and it's at a really good price point right now. For it sure. is It is a bulk card. Uh, now, we just had you know Commander Masters, obviously, which was a pretty big print run of this card. Judge promo is a judge promo, pre-release, you know, all that. But this is something that I think is a very good opportunity to get on at the two to three dollar range while we're at almost the all-time low in terms of price. Yeah. But also we're in a weird kind of like peak hype time. Uh, so one of two things is going to happen: either the price stays the same, or it goes up. Worst case, if this price stays the same, dinosaurs have proven that they are incredibly popular in Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the set sells really well. We have licensing crossovers now. Again, we have Ian Malcolm in the super secret lair or whatever. We're getting licensed Jurassic Park stuff in. Uh, this is one of those cards that I think is a good opportunity for liquidity now and is a really good opportunity for value later down the line when we start to get more exposure here, more cards in. Yeah. And not only that, we clearly know from like Itali and the Power Rangers coins, we're not just bound to Ixalan for this stuff. We can get dinosaurs on other planes. We've had, what was it, uh, Raging Pygmy Soar? The one yeah. from Ice Age, the OG dinosaur? Uh, oh, yeah, Raging Pygmy Allosaurus. Uh, Pygmy Allosaurus, yeah, that's yes. from Ice Age. Yeah, so like they do show up. Like we had Marauding Raptors in a core set. Uh, yeah. We do get Masks Block. I think Lava Runner might be. Yeah, Lava a dinosaur Runner's now. dinosaur. Uh, there's some of the. Oh, no, they're all beasts from Urza Block. But regardless, this is something that. It does everything you want in the colors that dinosaurs exist. Yes. Uh, It ramps. Obviously, if you cast it, untap all lands. Great. Outstanding. Vigilance, reach, trample, axes removal, axes life gain, axes just a good utility card. Yep. So 
the fact that to me it can exist as the commander and in the 99 and be just as good is one of the reasons that I think this is a really good buy right now. Now, in terms of quantity, let's be real. This card's never breaking into a 60-card format, ever. There's better options to show and tell. Emrakul is just always better. It just is. But for EDH, this card's great. Uh, That said, I personally am at about seven copies now, and that's because I literally have just been picking them up as, like, bulk. And I think seven's about where I'd want to be. I wouldn't want much more than that, maybe ten at most. That's fair. Now, the timeline is where this one gets kind of tricky because it's kind of indefinite. It's just hold for your moment. Hold for when you can turn it into liquid. Uh, Because right now it is, you know, five, sub five, somewhere in there. But it has a price history of being ten plus dollars. And if you look at the price at the stocks graph, every time we get a price, every time we get a reprint, the price goes down, but it still sets up higher than what it bottoms out. Yeah. So I fully expect that within, you know, hopefully within the next six months, we'll start to see the price rebound. But what we're really looking for here is our liquidity window, and that is a lot harder to name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once we get there, it's unload them all somehow. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, I um, Zakama was kind of the secret general to the deck that I played. Um, I was lucky enough to get a Grimlock, so that was oh, my yeah. my Nea dinosaur commander. Uh, but the ETB trigger on Zakama is incredibly powerful, and that kind of like makes the card overall. It makes it a threat to to, to kill, um, right? No, to because the recast is yeah. extremely powerful. In so far as where this goes, I think at this point in time, the the de facto general is uh, Pantalaza or Pantsless, depending on who you listen to. Yeah. Um, because it has a, a cast trigger it's for. It's like Karn. Yeah. Uh, sorry, an ETB trigger for it and other dinosaurs where you discover X, where X is that creature's power. Toughness, sorry, toughness. Yeah, toughness. And so when discover you discover nine is pretty good. Exactly. Exactly. You're going to discover nine. That is, that allows you to look at a lot of cards and see maybe yet another large dino to kind of just go in yeah. on. So I think Zakama is a really good look in the 99. And this kind of goes along with what we've been, what I've been talking about for a while, which is just like these big chunky dinosaurs that actually are pretty useful for a sundry of reasons, are where you're going to want to look for this deck overall. Yeah. If you go back and you watch Star City Versus, you can see uh, Corey Baumeister do a lot of work with uh, uh, the Punthalazo trigger. And that thing is insane. We talked about with um, Trumpany Carnosaur up top how powerful Discover can be, especially in lower-powered constructed formats. Well, you yeah. know, Commander is still constructed. It can be a very high-powered card if you ramp into it pretty quickly, and then some large creatures afterwards. And it gives you a lot of power, a lot of flexibility, and a lot of utility off of these cards overall. So why wouldn't you look to play the largest, most useful creatures in that type possible? Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, it just seems easy. Because once you cast a comma, you discover nine. You cast that next dinosaur from the discover... All your land's untapped, so you yep. cast another Whatever dinosaur. you want to discover again. Exactly, and you just chain discover, which makes this really, really, really good, I think, overall. So I think in the 99, I think, is where you're going to see it with, with uh, Pantalazo. I think we've kind of like coalesced around that card that as the, one, the yeah. commander Yeah, for, for the deck. Otherwise, I think Zakama is one of the best, like the best. Gishath is good, but Zakama untaps everything, so you can just keep doing more things. Yeah. And I think that's where you really want to be. 
with the dinosaur deck, and so it's kind of a toss-up between those two, but I think Zakamo's going to be a 99 card. So, as such, 7 is fine, because that quantity is an issue that I've been talking about as well with my picks. Yeah. How many dinosaur decks are really going to be at your locals? How many people are going to be buying in in time? And you've got to kind of, like you said, pick your moment to move out, which is which is great because if you can do it locally as these cards go up, sure, write it out. Even Otherwise, better, yeah. yeah, sit on it for buy list because not a lot of this stuff is getting reprinted as you would expect. So yeah. I think all of it is, is solid. Uh, for me, I am looking at another red utility card in Professional Facebreaker today. Love that card it is so much. Very good is, card. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'll let you go because I also think this card is a great pickup right now, but please, yes. It is, yeah. Two and a red for a two, three with Menace, which doesn't matter. Um, Whenever one or more creatures you control deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. Cool. It doesn't have to be professional facebreaker. Yeah. Then it has an activated ability. Sacrifice a treasure. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Cool. This is just a really good value card. Yeah. When I started looking at this card in early October, CK was buying 23 at $4.40. There are 332 listings on TCG Player, LP, or better at $4.73. In August, CK had a retail supply of 8 at $7.50, and they were buying 84 at $4.20. Uh, Lays it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when I was taking my notes, they were buying 75 at $4.20. 40 um retail uh, i forgot to write down those numbers i wrote down uh foil sell price instead uh, but i can check that live but currently they're buying 67 down from 75 but the buy price is still the same so it kind of tells you they're moving it pretty easily the market information for tcg player is that there are 289 listings at five dollars 31 market price and i believe we're still currently out of stock on card kingdom there you go perfect so they sold out and tcg market is actually very close to six dollars um they're down to 271 listings so this card is actively moving and you know we read the card so but what does it do it's a multi-axis value card for commander decks playing red that want to enter the combat step because this card does nothing if you don't at the end of the day that one's pretty pretty straightforward so uh, we are continuing the trend of cards that kind of speak for themselves professional face breakers seems to currently embody everything that wants he want wants red to be doing in commander and that is attacking making an obscene amount of treasure tokens and exiling cards off the top of uh, that player's library so this is a pretty honest card in the same vein as edric spy master of trust where it can either enter combat if you want it to or it can just hang back and be a value engine and yeah if you're playing red, regardless of what theme you're playing, you should be playing this card to help give you additional velocity or resources at all stages of the game, um, as long as you're entering combat. Again, that's the caveat yeah. here. Now, treasures aren't hard to come by, but at some point between playing lands, your regular ramp spells and rocks, and making treasures from most of your from most of your spells, you'll have access to an excess of treasures and translating that excess into extra cards via face breakers activated ability allows you to start playing from ahead because you basically get to you know kind of draw and if you draw dead with that exile well guess what that card's gone you don't have to worry about it now you traded a very small easy to come by resource to filter out a card that was just useless and does this card combo out Yes, very easily. When you take a look at Wreck or Commander Spellbook, you see there's just a litany of ways to combo out. Is this card played in CEDH because it screams like it should? Yes, yes, yeah. it definitely is. And it is played alongside, the, you guessed it, Dockside Extortionist. Ah. 
Exactly. Yeah. So we're at the end of the day, we're looking at an engine card with a pedigree that will churn excess treasures into value for anyone at any level of competitiveness. And that's kind of the thing, again, that I like about cards like this is just you could be really competitive with it in CEDH, so we have that audience. Or you can be just kind of like low to the ground and just doing the things that Wansi wants you to be doing in red casually. And it yeah. plays there too. It is not a very offensive card in the sense that it will create like rub against sensibilities. What are you doing? Just turning this extra resource into cards that I can actually fucking play <laughs> like instead of just drawing dead. You know, yeah. you can set it up with Sensei's Divining Top to clear chaff off if you want. There are so many things you could be doing with this card that are very easy and low to the ground that help your gameplay that aren't offensive but help you stay in the game and maybe even pull ahead. It's a very unassuming yeah. card that can do very powerful things. When it comes to a timeline, we can see this is a very slow gainer based on the stocks graph, and buying in at any point really will yield profit in the long run, but there seems like there will be two distinct timelines. The open market sees almost daily growth, so, is there the, so there is the opportunity to flip this card immediately. So the longer you wait, the more you can make. If you're yep. looking at buy list, the other timeline, it'll probably be closer to about six months before we see the delta between buy list and current market price close, though there is an arbitrage opportunity for a small amount of CK credit right now. That's like in the neighborhood of maybe 30 to 80 cents a copy. Not a lot, but that is there. So it tells you that the delta, while in existence, is pretty small, but it's going to kind of take a time before you can make, see positive outcome from this. At current velocity, we'd see TCG stock strain, uh, drain in about two months, with an interesting wrinkle being that the Gaming Co. is anchoring the foil price to $6.93 yeah. with 113 copies, because of course they are. Well, that was when they opened products, so. I know, I know, and it's always something I have to check for when I'm looking at this, like, what's the timeline yeah. and where's the gaming co in this list? Yep. Where are we? <laughs> uh, reprint equity. Now, this is a weird beer. The most unique part of this card is the name, and it feels like it could hit a reprint in any one of the upcoming sets, like uh, Thunder yeah. Junction or the, the two, um, any set where you could basically just kind of find a scallywag who just wants to punch somebody in the face. That, the that's West it. Thunder Junction release, because that's the Western set, yeah. right? That's the one that I think we're most likely to see it if we see it. Yes, yeah. Or if we dodge that, I think we're golden. Or you can do a universes within, and like I said, like yeah. just rename it to like some kind of pugilist, and you're fine because that's kind of what the name is meant to evoke. But in a yeah, and not a gangster, but like professional facebreaker is just like you're you're hired goon, like your Simpsons, yeah, yeah you're a hired mate. goon, yeah, kind of way. And a lot of these upcoming sets have that opportunity, even in some of the animal stuff, which I don't know that well. There does seem yeah. to be the opportunity where you could get a reprint of this card because it's just kind of like really generic because it's doing everything Watsi wants Red to be doing. It doesn't like anchor itself anywhere. And so yeah. I think that is kind of like the damning part. Uh, and could we see this in commander sets in the future? Yeah, absolutely. But for the time being, I think we're kind of like, okay, to buy in. This is just a card yeah. that's going to be good until the end of time. But remember, the reprint equity here is really kind of odd because of how generic all parts of this card are. Yeah. By quantity, I think somewhere between eight and a dozen is a fine look. Um, moving these to players out of your binder might be a bit difficult as not all red-based players or decks make enough treasures to utilize this. But if you're going to move these to buy a list, a dozen feels fine for the current price. And it's weird to say, like, in the description of this card, like, Red makes a ton of treasures and then talk about how not a lot of players actually play that. And it's like, well, you got a lot of players playing casually 
locally, they might not be playing all the new draw spells that make treasures, or they might they might not want to make treasures because that's too much acceleration for red and that generates too much heat, etc. Et so that's kind of like a local feel. Uh, yeah. I know for me, I think I do have a bunch of players that play red, but it's all part and parcel of some other package. So Facebreaker is not really going to be uh, a card they are looking for. But I do understand that there are like two types of red players in the world, which is weird to think about because sometimes they all share the same brain cell. Yeah. And I'm one of them. But this is another one I was like, you got to know your outs, which is why I yeah. said, if you're going to go to buy a list, it doesn't look fine. But if you want to move locally, that's a little tough. So kind of figure that one out. Like that's a, I feel like that's been a wrinkle for a lot of the stuff we've been talking about recently and is like kind of holds really important here. If your red players are kind of lax and they're like me, like I play Zozu. I just want to make the game go fast. Her, her, her. I don't need a lot of those treasures. I got a lot of mono rocks because that's yeah. just what the deck do. And I don't need face breaker. But if I'm somebody who's going to be playing ancient copper dragon and dockside and just looking to do whatever it is I'm going to do with those, then yeah, face breakers like in my wheelhouse and absolutely I'll slam that card all day long. So like, yeah, this is a kind of a pick and choose your pick and choose moment based on your expected outs. What do you have to say about face breaker? Cause I've kind of stolen the show here. Oh, you're good. Uh, so when you touch on this thing being just like a good engine, so I have played Blood Pod since it's existed in CEDH. I haven't been more excited for a card like other than Professional Facebreaker in a long time because it is such a good engine just for card advantage, for filtering. It doesn't just have to be a combo engine or for big dumb dinosaurs. If you're going wide, this card is great because it gives you treasure tokens, yep. uh, which you can use to get more cards. This, this to me, kind of slid into almost a Dark Confidant-type role yeah. in CEDH after Dark Confidant got bad and treasures got a ton of support. Uh, it's easy to cast, one red pip, it's an easy splash, and just the ability to i mean early game it's great because yep. menace is actually relevant in a lot of cedh games and a lot of edh games that's fair, actually yeah. because people just don't want to sacrifice their commander and whatever other creatures so they're like well i guess i'll just take two yeah because exactly. i don't care about two damage when i have 40 life except that now i get a treasure so i get to draw an extra card if i want it yep. uh it, it's i i love this card I think it is a card that, if it doesn't hit a reprint in the next six to eight months, could very realistically hit that ten dollars price point. If the gaming co stops anchoring the price, obviously. Yeah, that we'll was see. that was the funniest That's, thing to see. Yeah, one hundred and thirteen foils. You say, huh? Huh. Interesting. Yeah. How'd you get all those? Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I I think this card is great. I think it's one that kind of, it was obviously very hyped at the time because it was in a bunch of lists when the set came out. Yep. And Capenna kind of got forgotten about. People don't really talk about it anymore. It was an awful limited environment, so people wanted to move on quickly. The gilded foils were cool, but at the end of the day, this wasn't a set that had a lot of staying power. So to me, Facebreaker is like a sneaky heater mm -hmm. because it was forgotten about with you know the hubbub over Vivian that's basically pod slash natty order and all the other cards, the triumphs and everything. And, and this to me, yeah. yeah, this to me was actually probably the best card in the set. Oh my God. Uh, and I, it, it is really good, and I think it's been forgotten about, and it's just waiting to just creep up to that price point where it's like, all right, when did this happen? You just yeah. wake up and you're like, 
oh, it's $10. Well, that makes sense. I guess I should have known. We talked about how rancid uh, Capenna was not too, too long ago, because I remember bringing up the Donglar page for this before and mentioning it. But at $9, the three most expensive cards are Rafine's Triumph, Jetmere's Garden, and Spara's Headquarters. At $7, it's Xander's Lounge and Ledger Shredder. Okay, that's four out of the five Triumphs. The fifth Triumph is $6 at Zyatar's Proving Ground. And then Professional Facebreaker at $6. It is the second most expensive non-land card in the set. Or third most expensive non-land card in the set. The second most non-expensive, sorry. Second most expensive non-land card. Only Ledger Shredder beats it out as a non-land. It is. Pretty good company. (laughs) That's also how rancid the rest of the set That is also very true. (laughs) I'm Nixilis. The Planeswalker everybody's flipping out about is down there at a lowly $3. Bootlegger stash is a whole four. An offer you can't refuse an uncommon is $3. Like, that is... The heater set, my guy. The new standard, baby. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Anything before I just dive? No. SNC. All right. So for at MTG Cabalcast on Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, uh, I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Damon underscore Thirst. And we'll see you next week. Deuces.